0: If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. It's now officially August. The sun is high, the heat is growing, and back to school season is just around the corner. Here at the Diocese, we're gearing up for the PA March for Life on September 19th and our annual Women's Conference on October 15th. Growing up, I was what you would traditionally call a tomboy. I wasn't into anything pink or frilly. I never took a dance class, and I despised dolls. I ran around in jean shorts cut from my pants that had holes in the knees. I competed in martial arts and i preferred mud to makeup anytime someone told me that's just for boys i'd tell them to hold my juice box and sing anything you can do i can do better femininity was not my strong suit let's just say god knew what he was doing when he gave me three sons instead of three daughters As I grew older, I learned I had a very rigid definition of what it meant to be a woman and eventually came to embrace my femininity, though I would often find myself wrestling with it. While I'm fiercely passionate about women's equality, I'm also fiercely pro-life. While I'm fiercely passionate about equality and education, I'm also a firm believer in the Catholic faith. I found myself resonating with a lot of the points of the feminist movement, but not all of them. And for a long time, I felt like I had to choose which box I fell into. But couldn't I be both a Catholic and a feminist? A lot of people on both sides will tell you no. What I've learned as I've aged is that there's no right way to be a woman women are multifaceted. In fact, if you compare any two female saints, you'll see that for many, the only commonalities they shared was their gender and their love for God. As Catholic author Claire Swinarski puts it, feminism doesn't have to mean Butler, Sanger, or de Beauvoir. It can mean the Teresas of Avila, Lisieux, Calcutta, and the Cross— It can mean Gianna and Gemma and Joan. It can mean the teachings of the church and John Paul II, which have proclaimed again and again the inherent dignity of women, the right of women to pursue their callings, and the end of violence against women. It can mean one sex is not better than the other, nor are they the same. And it turns out, I'm not alone in my feelings of restlessness. There's an entire community, I'd even venture to say generation of women who believe in valuing the dignity of human life, valuing the dignity of women, and embracing John Paul II's teachings of the feminine genius. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you one such woman, Samantha Pavlok, a wife, mother, CEO, and the editor in chief of Fem Catholic to help me unravel and embrace this new integrated version of being a woman. So, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on this program. This is an episode that I've been wanting to do almost since I started here about a year ago. So thank you so much for joining us today. Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Um, I was raised Catholic in Indiana a big Catholic family. Both my parents are one of nine. So they they met at a restaurant and nine months later were engaged. So I grew up Catholic there. I went to Notre Dame and majored in theology and business. And then I moved to Chicago and was working in consulting, accounting, uh, and at a bank actually. And then during that time, my husband and I got married, had a couple kids, started this platform called Femme Catholic. And now I'm out in the Pennsylvania suburbs, running Femme Catholic and chasing kids.
0: That's awesome. That sounds like, sounds a lot like what I do, <laughs> just chasing <laughs> kids. And where did the idea from Femme Catholic come from? You mentioned that you're, you're is in banking and, and other types of things. Why did you decide to create this type of space for Catholic women? And, and what's the mission?
1: Sure, so the mission um, is really to educate women in the truth of our faith uh, and ask hard questions about the realities of their lives, but also look at what the church actually teaches. Uh, because in college, I, I majored in business, but I also got a theology degree and I was reading all these different things by Pope John Paul II, by even you know other popes, Pope Paul VI, uh, St. Edith Stein, who was a feminist philosopher, St., back in the 1920s and and I I felt like I hadn't been taught a lot of what was written in our faith and you know it really wasn't um that different but just some of the language and some of the issues they were talking about was so important to me and interesting Uh, because I had always kind of considered myself somebody really passionate about women's issues I think because I growing up I was pretty feisty. Uh, I didn't always fit the sort of docile female box. Um, I was definitely bold and I I was kind of drawn to secular feminism, but I knew obviously that a lot of the positions they took didn't mesh with the Catholic faith. And so I, I found myself wrestling with that. And then I think discovering Pope John Paul II, Edith Stein, it really felt like this answer to these questions I had had of how I could make sense of women's, uh, women's issues, women's equality, women's voices, and what mattered, but in the context of our faith. And so the way that Fem Catholic started was I actually saw a Facebook ad for a conference put on by a group of nuns. So back in 2016, the Council of Major Women Superior Religious, uh, which is like a A bunch of nuns, (laughs) um, put on a conference for lay Catholic women leaders. And it was all expenses paid, but you had to apply and go through this whole application process, discerning the gifts that you had been given uniquely to offer the church and the world. And so through this application process, I had done a lot of pro-life work in my younger years, but through this application process, I realized that I needed to start something talking about women sort of at large and JP two and Edith Stein and the, and these threads of truth that I had found. And I was kind of the person in my friend groups telling all my friends about these things. And I, you know, I felt really called to do that on a bigger scale. So I submitted this action plan and was accepted to the given forum, uh, which is still going on. People can find that online, the given forum for Catholic women leaders. And so through that process, I actually, it was pregnant with my first and almost didn't, never launched Femme Catholic at all. Um, but when you promise nuns something, they're pretty good at following up with you. <laughs> um, and so they followed up and said, you know, you have to do your action plan. We want you to do this. And so I did launch the blog while I was on maternity leave with my first uh, kid. And it started out as a a blog I was writing for. And then God made it very clear that it was meant to be sort of a collaborative thing. And so I took on contributing writers. And then a couple years later, what my actual action plan had been was a blog and then to have an annual conference inspired by something that was at Notre Dame called the Edith Stein Conference that's put on every year. And so I thought, you know, I have kids now, I can't do this conference. And a couple years into doing the blog, all the pieces just lined up. I mean, Holy Spirit was absolutely behind this my husband was getting a nighttime MBA. So in the evenings he was gone and I was home and I reconnected with some other women that I had met at the given forum at one of whom had an event planning background. One of whom had planned a conference in college, one who was a graphic designer. And in less than a year, we sold out a conference in Chicago uh, for 400 people from across the country and Canada. Some people flew down from Canada and then the pandemic hit. So we have not, we're in the, in the, process of planning our second conference right now, actually, but it's just sort of grown from there. And so we're continuing to write and put out um, important stories about women's issues and, and gather women together and just help women navigate that tension between their real life and their faith.
0: I love that. And yes, I feel like that's, there was obviously a gap That needed to be filled because like you were saying like you might as well have just taken a page out of my diary like I was that feisty kid growing up like I never wanted to do like super girly things but like I always think of that song you know anything you can do I can do better like that's (laughs) that was my attitude growing up but there was I felt like there wasn't much of a place for me and then stumbling upon a lot of the same things that you did I was like oh you know, the church really does value women. It's not how it's perceived by people yeah. who are not in the thick of the faith, you know, of like, oh, they don't, it's not about women. It's all about men. It's no, women are actually pretty boss when it comes to yeah. being you in the church. The
1: history of Catholic women saints, for example, or even Catholic, you know, women in the Bible, they are not all one-size-fits-all. You know, they're not all... There are women who have a bunch of kids. There's women who don't. There's women who are married. There's women who are not. There's women who, like Therese of Lisieux, were cloistered and, you know, doing their thing kind of in private. And then you have women like Teresa of Avila, Catherine of Siena, Catherine Drexel, you know, founding all these different orders across the world, really. Mother Teresa has been recognized as one of the most you know, incredible business people just to run an organization with the, the size that she did and the budget that she did. And it was all inspired by God, you know? So I think that's where, if you have this kind of reduced vision of women, that we, we, I don't know where we get that from, but I have the same sense that like, oh, I have to just be quiet. And and I think that really is the devil trying to convince you that, like, what if, you know, what if Joan of Arc had thought she had to be St. Therese? <laughs> like, exactly. That's not what God was calling her to. God was calling her to be Joan of Arc or Catherine of Siena. She thought, you know, well, I'm not supposed to say anything. No, God wanted her to to talk to the Pope. And, you know, she did so in a very virtuous way. The way she went about that work was very holy, but God calls women to a lot of different things. And and that's what I just felt like needed to be highlighted more of.
0: Yes. And I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to listen and receive you know the support that you needed to get this off the ground because i feel like you know if if you and i relate to it then there's probably a lot of other women who relate to it as well
1: <laughs> i hope so
0: <laughs> so let's address the elephant in the room because i know that there is a big misunderstanding regarding the definition of feminism so just doing a quick internet search it's defined as the advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of political social and economic equality to men And a deeper search shows that the original feminist movement began in waves, you know, starting with women's suffrage and the right to own property and evolving to address concerns like education and workplace equality and sexuality. But I think a lot of that gets lost because the actual definition leaves a lot of room for interpretation. There are a lot of feminists who identify as pro-life, while others argue you can't be a feminist if you're against abortion or LGBTQ rights or even mentioning men's rights and how advocating for women can actually benefit men. So in your opinion, how do you define feminism and why isn't it more a, a more blanketed term like egalitarianism or humanism?
1: a great question um and it's interesting to see even you know so i started fem catholic back in 2016 and in the past five six seven years how much has changed to me the word feminism is important because it identifies the fact that women have particular needs that that are different than sort of all humans um It's the same reason we talk about, you know, even pro-life issues. We're talking about a particular group of people who need support in a particular way or need, you know, to to be defended. Identifying that group of people is important so that we can talk about the things that matter to them. And part of the reason I, you know, and I didn't call the the blog like feminist Catholics. I, I wanted to just use that femme catholic um because it also is a nod to the word female and i think that has become you know and i'd never expected that to so quickly become the issue that it is today but i really think it's important to call out the fact that female human beings have a particular experience of life they have you know god created us male and female that reveals something talking about women as women is important, and. I also find it really interesting that pope john paul ii used the word and actually called for what he called a new feminism so in um he wrote a bunch of documents about women that are wonderful i i really highly recommend uh, you can google letter to women by pope john paul ii it's not very long it's online he wrote that in 1995 and he talked about the need for catholics to you know, fight for women's rights and women's equality and and the oppression that women have faced around the world uh, in different parts of the world, especially more than others, that that's just a Catholic human dignity, you know, effort to do. But the other document he wrote that maybe more people are familiar with is Evangelium Vitae, which was sort of a pro-life encyclical. Um, It was all about, um, it's called On the Dignity of Life, Evangelium Vitae. And it's actually in that document, I think is really interesting where he calls for a new feminism. He says, women need to rise up in a quote, new feminism. And so he uses that word. And I think he was such an intentional man that that's not a coincidence that he chose to use that word. And so that's sort of where we are grounding our work is is campaigning for a new feminism in uh, the spirit of his teachings and the Catholic Church but yeah, I think it's really important to identify the group of people who need help so that you can address the problem and and address the issue from there.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's hard to to really drill down into it if you don't really know where you're drilling. So I think that, that yeah. I agree. I think that's really super important.
1: Well, and like you said, the history is really important too because if you look at feminism in the early 1900s, there were feminists who were pro-life. They were very pro-family. You know, the same women who were fighting for prohibition were women that were fighting for women's rights and and what's good for family and children. And then in the 60s and 70s, it really did get sort of caught up in the sexual revolution and feminism in the sexual revolution became very intertwined as a political movement. You still see that today where, you know, abortion is key to women's equality. Okay, I don't agree with that. Obviously, that's very problematic. I shouldn't have to, you know, kill my children to be equal. And the Catholic Church thinks the same thing, that you sh- that's not what women's equality is grounded in. Um, and I think the world really needs that message as a pro-woman message today to, to untangle feminism and gender equality from women's rights uh, or from abortion and from some, the sexual revolution.
0: Yes, I 100% agree that it. it's, it's gotten to one and the same and it's, it's very much a separate issue.
1: Yeah, there's a great book by a uh, Catholic investigative journalist. She used to work for Cosmopolitan magazine, like back in the day. Um, and she, the book is called Subverted. And she talks all about her experience working for Cosmo and how she kind of lived through those movements becoming intertwined and and watching that happen. It's really interesting. It's a great book.
0: Yes, I have. It's on my list to read. I haven't read it yet, but I did watch an interview with her and she is just enthralling and I can't wait to get my hands on this book. You mentioned in one of your articles that being a feminist actually brought you closer to God. Can you expand on that a little bit for me?
1: Sure. So like I said, growing up, I was feisty uh to put it lightly I think I kind of had what people might call a a feminist bone in my body um I wrote my college entrance essay on this moment where I was at a big family barbecue bunch of boys are playing baseball in the backyard and you know all the girls are sitting on the sidelines and I wanted to play I was like let's go you know let's go play and um the other girls weren't sure, you know, so I just kind of walked out there and said, "I can play it. like I loved baseball. um and it's intimidating, but I also think, you know that's that's a charism i I have been given and and I wasn't sure where that fit in the church for a while to lead in that way. And so. I wasn't sure what to make of myself as a woman. You know, this, it was before kind of all of the questions around trans identities. Or, and I don't know that I would have considered myself a man, but I knew that I wasn't sort of a good woman. If if the good woman meant being kind of quiet and docile um, and domestic and, um, and those things just didn't come naturally to me. And so That's how I was sort of identifying myself. Um, And then I think, like I said, in college, discovering what the church has actually written about, what it means to be a woman, um, what it actually means to have the, you know, a maternal heart is not just being that you are great with children, um, but a maternal heart being this care for the person And and caring for other people and what's good for people, whether that's in the workplace or, you know, in your community, in your parish, in your family, Uh, women have this real charism for people and, and to receive other people. And just these different messages about what it actually meant to be a woman. I realized were so empowering and I don't think I would have gone looking for those answers and actually found my faith in the same way if I hadn't been sort of looking for that Catholic feminism and that that truth about who I was. So I think in that way, you know, being who God created me to be and finding my place in the church, I think is a very sort of feminist endeavor. Um, and that that definitely brought me closer to God.
0: Yeah, I feel like I can relate to that so much because it's a lot of, you know, you feel like you're almost like you're fighting against the grain, And then when you find that spot that God has carved out for you, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is where I belong. I don't have to fight him on it anymore. You know what I mean? Almost feels like home for lack of a better term. Yeah. It's like, I
1: know it's like a vocation. And I think that's when you even look at the history. I'm so interested in the history of the feminist movement. You have people like um, Betty Friedan was a feminist in the sixties who wrote about how, you know, not all women want to be housewives or want to be you know, stay-at-home moms. And what I see in her is really this cry for, like, a she wasn't in her vocation totally. You know, she had, yes, she was, maybe was called to be a mom, but she was called to use these multitudes of gifts and she felt like that wasn't being seen or understood. And that's where I think when people go looking for that fulfillment in... world they get very stuck sometimes and segmented and whereas in in catholicism what i've actually found in the history of the saints is like god dreams so much bigger than we do Uh, the multifaceted like god doesn't put these limits on women of like oh if you have kids you can't have a career or you can't you know if you have a career you can't be a good mom or you can't like god has this sort of not magical it's like the holy spirit just works things out Um, and that's what I've seen in my own life. I know you were talking about, you have kids, I have kids when we have these other charisms that were called to use. And I just have found that there is this particular way, this fluidity to it when you follow the Holy spirit that just isn't available to women in these secular spaces where everything has to be sort of perfectly planned and controlled and mapped out. And there's no support.
0: Right. It's like, in the Catholic church, it doesn't have to be either, or it can be both. And, and mm-hmm. God has a plan for that. You just have to like, let go of control a little bit and you listen. Know.
1: And like, trust that your gifts do have a
0: purpose. Cause I think, you know, for a while
1: I, I thought, well, even when, you know, again, I almost didn't launch Femme Catholic at all because I thought, Oh, I'm a mom now. This mm-hmm. is obviously my you know most important part of my life. I, this is all I should be doing. And it's, it's funny to me that God really worked through those nuns to, to call me out and say, no, this is a gift you've been given. This is something you need to do. And it really has been so fruitful for me and like for my family. That's the thing that when you follow the Holy Spirit, it really is the overflowing gifts, gifts overflowing versus I think when I try to map it out or control it on my own.
0: It just doesn't, it doesn't work. Right, right. I have the same problem. (laughs) Femme Catholic is proof that there is a middle ground between feminism and Catholicism. But like we were saying, many people believe you're either one or the other. You can't be both based on that murky understanding of the definition of feminism that we talked about earlier. Why do you think that is? And how are you and Femme Catholic working to reframe that narrative? So I think that it's very
1: human for people to want to group things together you know just say oh you're this political party or you are even you know you're from (laughs) Texas so you're this kind of person or you're from California so that you're this kind of person you know uh you're from Indiana so I think it's normal for us to kind of have a tendency to do that and it, it may I understand why people like the word feminism has been associated with some very harmful things. So I don't think everyone should go around saying, I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist, especially if you don't resonate with that word. But I think the word communicates something really powerful, again, about fighting for women's rights. And I think that I've actually talked to a lot of converts who were thinking about converting to Catholicism, but were not sure about Catholicism's views of women. (laughs) And so finding Femme Catholic, they've actually told me like helped them convert because they were able to answer those questions and realize that the church is very empowering to women. So I think that's what that word feminism, you know, when people are typing into Google, these topics they're searching for, it helps them find us and it it helps them find these types of things. And again, looking at the writings of Pope John Paul II, there's a real need for addressing, um, the ways in which women have been forgotten in the world and, and in the church, because the church is not immune from the sins of the world. Uh, you know, we're made up of fallen people <laughs> have been from the t- the very beginning, starting out with Peter, uh, and the apostles, you know, and the church is just not immune from the sins of the world. And we are still working out how to include women all the time. Um, or to really address the issues that matter to women. So in the past year, Pem Catholic did a journalism investigation into what type of maternity leave were offered by the diocese, Catholic diocese, uh, because everybody knows the Catholic Church is one of the most pro-family, pro-life organizations in the world, and so we wanted to look at, okay, a lot of women are working nowadays. Everybody knows a lot of women work in parishes, and and dioceses but is something like maternity leave that's a policy that maybe hasn't been considered in the past when religious and clergy were running these organizations at or these you know, the, um, at the parish and diocesan level and so unfortunately what we found is that you know not that many dioceses do have a maternity leave policy or a very big one and since we raised that reporting there have actually been multiple dioceses in just the past couple months who have changed their policy because they realized, oh, you know, we weren't really considering women and women's needs. And the thing is when you take care of women, really, you're taking care of families, you're taking care of children, you're, you know, and so I think really bringing the Catholic spirit of human dignity to that care for women is that middle ground of kind of a Catholic feminism.
0: Yes. I love that. And I really, I love that you took the initiative to go and investigate the maternity leave policies because you're right i feel like it's a practice that you know 30 40 50 years ago didn't have to think about because like you mentioned you know it was clergy running at the diocesan level and ha- their family is the church versus nowadays where it's a lot of lay people who have that delicate balance so that i think that's fascinating and i'm glad that it opened the eyes of a lot of dioceses to find areas that we can improve to support the family. Um, So I think that is fascinating.
1: Such an important witness for the church. I think like a lot of companies have started offering maternity leave in the sort of secular world, Uh, but not all, you know, and it's an important, it's really important for the church to witness to what it looks like to support families nowadays, because that's in America, that's tough, (laughs) you know, like, Um, raising a family is becoming harder and harder. And I think it's just the church has actually such a powerful voice to be that witness and to show what it looks like to be pro-life and pro-woman. And, you know, again, doing something like maternity leave is a really powerful way to demonstrate that
0: absolutely being a proverbs 31 woman has long been taught as like the ideal woman and to me it's meant she's a woman who cleans the house tends the children pleases her husband and just kind of keeps her mouth shut and honestly to me she just always seemed too perfect and that's it's not me it's that's very hard for me to relate to because i am very not perfect is there an intersection between being a proverbs 31 woman and a Catholic feminist identity? Oh, that's a good
1: question. We actually, one of our blog posts in year one of Femme Catholic was on this topic. Um, I'll have to see if I can find it and send it to you. But it's just looking at what Proverbs 31 actually says about a woman. You know, it says that she's doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> she's very active, has her own business. Um And is using her gifts. I think that's the most important piece to me is that, you know, the parable of the talents God has given us these different talents and we are called to use them. And if you look at the history of female saints, women's gifts are very different. They're not all the same. They're not all going to be, you know, again, having 10 kids and staying home with those 10 kids. There are women who have, who do that. There are women who have 10 kids and have a nanny or, you know, daycare or, and do other things. There are women who have five kids. There's women who have one kid, you know, there's, there's women who have no kids and who do a lot of care for their community. So, you know, I have an aunt in town here who does not have any, she's not married, doesn't have any kids. Uh, she actually works late night at a, a bar restaurant. So she, you know, but she is such a caretaker for so many of the people who come to that place and for us. So she comes over, my mom is not in town. But my aunt is, and so, you know, she is so often coming over to babysit so I can go to the doctor or other appointments or, you know, take a kid to an appointment. There's just so many ways that women love and serve in the world. And so to me, the Proverbs 31 woman is a woman who, again, uses those gifts of her maternal heart. She's caring for people. She's being prudent with her gifts and her resources and um, the needs of those around her. Even Mary in the Bible, you know, at the wedding at Cana, she's noticing, "Oh, these people are out of wine." That's going to be really important to them. You know, it wasn't like everyone's going to go hungry. Wine was kind of a bonus, <laughs> although very important at the wedding. But even like noticing the things that matter to people and just caring for people to, um, well, I think women have such a gift for that, and they're going to do that in a, you know a variety of different ways and places. And again, if you read. Pope John Paul II's letter to women, he says, thank you, women who are mothers. Thank you, women who work. Thank you, women um, who are sisters. And that women will play a part in finding solutions to all of the world's biggest problems. Um, You know, and just, I think if you read those documents, it's so clear that the diversity of women's call is there.
0: I love that. And I love... The rethinking of Proverbs thirty one that it it doesn't have to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. It's you. It's being able to use your talents because you you have more talents than just being a mother or being you know because there are lots of women who don't have children. Like you were saying, it's it's being able to be attuned to your gifts and and using them to be even a spiritual mother of sorts, you know, community mother. However, um, I think that's great. And I think I like, I like the reframe of that.
1: Yeah. And the thing that's so cool about Catholicism is I think in our tradition of having religious sisters, you see that so powerfully these women who, especially some of the greatest saints over time, although Catherine of Siena was a lay woman, you know, she was a single lay woman who was called upon by God to use her gifts in a very powerful way for the church. And but you have tons of nuns across the world loving others, you know, teaching, caring, um, but also running organizations. Again, Mother Teresa was running a multi-million dollar organization. And and she had her priorities straight of also caring for the person in front of her. And like that's the power of woman.
0: I love that. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but typically when people think of pro-life, they think solely about the unborn and that's it. From a Catholic feminist standpoint, what does the term pro-life actually mean? Oh,
1: um, so I want to I acknowledge that, you know, I think there is kind of a political understanding when people say pro-life, they're talking about abortion, they're talking about babies. And I think that you can use it in that way, but I think being pro-life, like I don't even know if Pope John Paul II actually uses that word in his in his um, encyclical on the dignity of life, where he talks about abortion. He talks about human dignity uh, a lot, and he talks about the dignity of life. But in my mind, the sort of the pro-life political movement is grounded in Catholic social teaching and Catholic teaching on human dignity on the dignity of every single person, regardless of size, regardless of, you know, how productive you are or how much you contribute to society. So it's the same, the pro-life teaching on a, a human being as a human being with a soul from the moment of conception until death is also the teaching that is why we would say, you know, a person with any number of disabilities is still just as important and valuable and loved a person of any race, any gender, any, you know, however they are identifying sexually or any of these different markers that people take on or are born with, basically all people are loved by God and reveal something unique about God. You think about the body of Christ, you know, a toe is going to be different than an ear. (laughs) They're going to look different. They're going to have different gifts. They're going to have different uh, strengths and capabilities and, but you need all of them and you need everyone. And I think that's, that's such a powerful message is that, you know, that's why we're pro-life for women and babies. I am very passionate about in, in recognizing the dignity of all people. I think sometimes when we're talking about pro-life issues, we talk so much about the baby and, and it's understandable when you kind of see the images of, what's happening during an abortion um because i think a lot of people don't realize the the like sobering reality of what that procedure entails but a lot of people also don't realize the reality of pregnancy and childbirth and the you know the way that pregnancy and childbirth forever changes your body and i think we do need to support women again that's where i think things like maternity leave the USCCB the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops actually has Something called "Walking with Women in Need." It's a campaign they launched, um, just encouraging Catholics and parishes and diocese to support women. And so, I think that the, again, when you support moms, you support babies because it's so it's so uh, I think natural for women to care for their children. That to me. Abortion is a very obvious symptom that we have not supported women well, that women feel like they have to choose something other than having and caring and loving for their child. Um, They feel like they're in a desperate situation. So I think being pro-life means recognizing the dignity of all people um, and then in, in a particular way focusing on babies and moms
0: yeah and I, I i feel like you were mentioning that the term pro-life like john paul ii never m- might not actually even use it he uses the dignity of human life because the term pro-life is so politically charged and i feel like they do that to create fear and to stir up fear in that you know if you don't choose this this will happen Some you know and with the recent events of Roe v. Wade being overturned, I've seen an enormous amount of fear and judgment from both sides that the concern is that a post-Roe world would return to pre-Roe norms where back before Roe, women might have been coerced into adoption because no one was willing to support them, much like now where they might be coerced into abortion for the same reason. And when you dig into it, I think people's biggest fear is that there won't be enough care to go around. You know, if you're, they feel like any care for the child comes at the expense of the mother and vice versa. But it seems like there's a lot more visibility and a lot more ad dollars on one side than there is on the other. How can we as Catholic feminists spread awareness to the resources that are available and have more productive conversations? So I think um there's a catholic concept of
1: called subsidiarity which is this idea that you should focus on like your local community. So I, I think if you even think about the way you know we have the pope and the the Vatican but then we have dioceses and we have parishes and there each parish priest has a responsibility for his local the people in his diocese, you know. Um there sometimes we're so quick to talk about broad scale things that need to happen in politics that we actually forget, like what is your parish doing to support moms? Because there was a 2017, 2018 study that the Kara foundation did with America magazine on women in the church. And less than 20% of women said that they very much agree their parishes supports new moms. That's only one in five. Wow. So that means four out of five, eighty percent of Catholic women who you know identify as Catholic, um, and they may not be going to church regularly, but they identify as Catholic, and their perception is that the the church, you know, does not very much support new moms. And so, even just talking to the moms in your parish and saying like, "What do you need? What would be helpful?" It's small things. Like my parish has a, I guess it's a cry room, <laughs> but it's, it's a room, you know, in the back of church, uh, with some toys and they have a TV broadcasting the mass because you, you, there's not a window, but they have a sign in there. They call it the St. Gianna room after St. Gianna Mola, who was a, a working mom doctor, but they have a sign in there saying, you know, we love for children to be in mass, but we also know that sometimes Babies need to nurse or moms, you know, kids just need to move their legs. And this is a space for you, you know, to still be part of mass, but also be here if it's if it's easier for you. Just so welcoming, I think, because it versus making parents feel like, oh, I have to keep their kids quiet um and out of the church. Cause I know a lot of parents feel like that. And so I think in terms of resources, I really want to, and it's harder, it's not as fun. It's like notice that resistance when I say, focus on local resources. Notice how you probably feel a little bit like, oh, I don't wanna do that. You know, there's something more exciting or grandiose about focusing on big picture. But again, I think as Catholics, we really have to pray about we're called to that subsidiarity. And so even it could be just reaching out to a new mom in your parish and saying, hey, you know, my kids are grown. Can I come over and watch your kids? I know you just had a baby. I would love that. If somebody did that for me, oh my gosh. Um, you know, hey, can I watch your kids? Or hey, can I bring you dinner? Or those little things really matter when you're in the trenches every day with small kids. And and that just builds community. And again, I think being that witness that is way more powerful than people realize. If Catholic churches were thriving communities of pro-life witness, I think that would really resonate with people. And then in terms of how to have more productive conversations, I think something I always keep in mind is that one in four women have had an abortion. So, you know, more women, more women have had abortions than think they're support pregnant women. Um, but one in four women have had an abortion, I guarantee you, you know, multiple people who've had abortions. And as I've started to talk about this more more of those people have come out to me and told me, you know, yeah, I had an abortion or somebody just told me, you know, my sister had an abortion in high school. It's something people don't want to talk about, but it's common. And so when we're talking about these topics, people are not just talking about the politics of it in the sky, they're talking about their sister or they're talking about, you know, their mom who may have told them that they had an abortion back in the day, or people are talking about people they care about and i think we just have to be sensitive to that and and understand okay you know do you know anybody in your life who's had an abortion or what do you think they needed and we interviewed actually back in 2018 we did a survey anonymously women who've had abortions what did you need and how are you doing now and the findings you know it's a, it's what a lot of pro life people talk about the findings were basically that they didn't know there was support available they didn't know there were actually people out there who would help. So I think continuing to promote those things. But if if the women who are having babies in your community don't feel supported, then women who are trying to decide whether to have a baby aren't going to know those resources exist. Um, so I actually think if we work on just supporting women who are having babies, <laughs> the rest will kind of follow from there.
0: Right. And it's like, Going back to what you were saying about Mother Teresa focusing on the person in front of you, you can mm-hmm. think pie in the sky, all the, you know, the big movement types of things, but if you're not looking at Sally Jane standing right in front of you, none of that really matters. Yeah. If you're someone who's Catholic and you care about women and you care about navigating that space in between being Catholic and caring about women, what resources are available? What types of things can we get involved in?
1: Uh, so, I'd love for everyone to check out femcatholic.com, F E M C A T H O L I C.com. Uh, we have articles on there. We have tons of videos. We have all the talks from our first conference that sold out. You know, the keynote talk at that was How the Church Beats Feminism at Its Own Game. It's by a, a prominent lawyer, actually, a Harvard scholar, lawyer who's um, pro life, Erica Bakioki. Um, And just some really interesting talks, kind of grappling with different issues that are in that tension uh, between sort of what people call feminist issues and then Catholicism Um, and always coming back to our faith. So we we are trying to reconcile people with the church. And it's not because we're afraid to ask hard questions. It's because whenever we've asked those hard questions, we have always been able to find answers in what the popes have written, what the saints have written, you know, but I think looking at some of the the practical questions are really good and important. And so that's what we're doing um, on our website. We also have a book club you can join. Again, I said, we're having our second conference soon. So if people are interested in that, they can join our email list and stay informed about that. And we feature a lot of different people and books and other resources from Femme Catholic. So just linking out to those, um, I think you'll find, you'll stumble your way into into other things uh, from there.
0: Awesome. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really awesome conversation and I hope whoever needed to hear it heard it and that you feel more at home.
1: Thank you so much. No, it's so, it's so comforting talking about these things. And like I said, I really wondered where my place was in the church for a long time. And I think, um, I just hope that like we were both saying, you know, if you are somebody who has that boldness or it feels like you doesn't, you don't fit the box of whatever femininity box you think you're in, um, I just want to encourage you that, you know, God has a plan for you. And if you uh, can be honest with him about where you're at and, and your struggles and your dreams, I truly, truly believe that you'll find the most fulfillment in, in this path.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.